So, well, it's good to have all of you here. Uh, my storm story is that uh, back in 08, when I, I was on staff at a church in Iowa City, it's a building about 50,000 square feet, so it's maybe nine times the size of this building. Uh, the Iowa River flooded, and the entire building was four feet underwater. What was even cooler, than, and I mean, that's not cool. That's horrible. What was even, <laughs> but the one cool thing about it was that um, one of our deacons in the church offered to take me and the senior pastor in a boat to go tour the building while it was flooded, and CNN jumped in, and it was, anyway, it was a pretty epic experience, um, but it was tragic, too. So, anyway, well, we are in a new sermon series from First. Peter. And so we, this is the second week that we're into it. Now, First Peter, it's a letter that was written by, as you might guess, the Apostle Peter. And he wrote this when he was in Rome, about AD 65 is the best estimate. So this was toward the end of his life. So what that means is that not only did Peter spend three years intimately walking with Jesus, uh, not only did he know what it meant to fail miserably, and to suffer bitterly in the midst of that, but he also knew what it meant post-resurrection to be a leader in God's church and, and to lead in that way for decades. And so this letter has great importance to him uh, in terms of the significance of what it is that he's trying to communicate to the church. Now, it's a universal letter, and uh, what that means is that it's not a letter that just went to one city. It's a letter that was circulated in mass, you know, uh, coverage of a large territory kind of throughout Turkey, in essence, today was the location. This means that, you know, a letter was scripted by hand, maybe a few copies were made, and then it was distributed. So the, the churches would gather and they would listen as it is read as an encouragement to them as they are a people in the midst of persecution. Now, for those of you who are not Christians here today, uh, as you walk with us, if you come back, as you walk with us through this series, what you're going to see is you're going to receive ultimately a master class in what it means to live as a Christian in the midst of a broader, broader secular culture, okay? And there would be more of a, a broader pagan culture, um, but, but the reality is that it, this series is going to help us to see how as Christians... We're called by God to glorify him, right, to embrace the identity of who we are. And as we do that, uh, we're to serve and love those around us. Now, last week, Michael helped us to see that. In particular, as we looked at the first two verses, he helped us to see that our identity as Christians is as ones who've been chosen by God. And there's all sorts of beautiful ramifications for that. But as we embrace that identity we'll find that our lives will forever be changed and will, in an ongoing sense, be changed. And so this week, we're going to build on that. And we're going to see how spiritual rebirth, it gives us a living hope. And, and that hope assures us of a spiritual inheritance and a salvation that's yet to take place. So that's, that's where we're going today. And so let's go ahead and we're going to follow along. If you have your Bible, um, go ahead and turn to First Peter chapter 1. If you don't, uh, we have Bibles that are available to you on the table behind the sound booth, or you can open up your smartphone, whatever whatever you need. That would be great. So what we're going to read together is 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 5. So follow along with me now. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us 
to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Uh, Let's go ahead and pray together. Lord, we love your word. And I stand here this morning as one who is filled with error, and yet we look to a word that has no error, that is completely truthful, completely relevant to us, that is the word spoken by you through the inspiration of the Spirit in the writing instruments of faithful people. And Lord, we thank you that from that came this word. And we pray this morning, Lord, that your Spirit would be present speaking to us, translating into our hearts the very essence of what it is that you have for us. From wherever we're coming this morning, Lord, be it tragedy or be it uh, pure joy, whatever it may be, Lord, we pray that you would speak and that we would hear. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So our text today, it begins with these words, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what Peter is doing here is he is inviting us to worship. It's kind of like when Matt stood up here this morning and he read from the Psalms and said, Hey, I'm inviting you to worship with God's word. That's what Peter's doing. He is calling us to worship. He's encouraging us to engage our mind and our heart and our emotions, celebrating God the Father and then who it is that he has given us in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the original meaning of the names combined there, the Lord Jesus Christ, Christ means promised Messiah, promised deliverer. Jesus means Savior, and Lord means the ruler of all things. So Peter is pairing these words together, and it means that it's pregnant with all sorts of meanings. So that original audience reads this, and they're hearing that Peter is inviting us to Worship the Son, the ruler of the world, the Savior of the people, their hope and their deliverer. But Peter doesn't stop by inviting them just to worship Jesus for who he is, but he also invites them to worship him for what he has done. Look at continuing in 3. It says, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. Now, the, the, the reference that Peter's making to is, is to an experience that Jesus had years before. And you can read about it in John 3. Let me just summarize what happens there. You see, there's this conversation between Jesus and this Pharisee Nicodemus. Uh, He'd come to ask Jesus a question. And as Jesus often did, I mean, he, he looked right past that question and he cut right to the heart of what Nicodemus needed to hear. And in John 3, 5, he said these words, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water... And the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, the scandalous point that he was making in this whole section, and it was scandalous, he was telling this Jewish leader that no matter how religious he was, it wouldn't get him to God. There is nothing he could do that the only way to God, the only access to his kingdom, is to be spiritually reborn. Spiritual rebirth. And according to John 3.13, that spiritual rebirth comes only through looking to Jesus to forgive sin. And of course, we know 
what Nicodemus didn't know. We knew that in a short time, Jesus would be going to the cross. He would be dying as a sacrifice for sin and rising from the death to conquer that sin. A sacrifice that would allow anyone who comes in faith to look to Christ, to receive forgiveness of sin, and to ultimately experience this conversion, this new birth that Jesus was talking about. So when we look back then at what Peter was saying, he was reflecting on this teaching that access to God doesn't come through our works, but it comes through being born again through spiritual rebirth. Now who does Peter credit with spiritual rebirth? Look again at at that same verse. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. He doesn't say, according to your great wisdom, we've been born again. He doesn't say, because we've lived a good life, we're born again. No, he says, according to his, to God's great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. And this magnifies the grace of God. It gives it so much more meaning because it taps into this understanding that we explored a couple weeks ago from Ephesians 2. If you didn't hear that message, I would recommend it. Zach brought that. And what we saw in that is that in our sin, we're not only deserving of wrath. In other words, we've, we've done wrong. We've sinned against God, and that deserves punishment. But in Ephesians 2.5, it takes that understanding a step further. It says that we're dead in sin. Okay? That salvation, as Zach so eloquently stated a few weeks ago, that salvation is not reaching for a life preserver. Like we're drowning in the water. No. Salvation, to be saved from sin, is to be dead at the bottom of the ocean. Our only hope being what? Resuscitation. Our only hope being brought from death to life. And so what what I want us to see here, there's all sorts of unbelievable depth and meaning to what Peter is saying here in verse 3. Namely, that God has graciously given us his son as ruler, deliverer, and savior. And that this son gives us access to spiritual rebirth through his death and through his resurrection. And that this spiritual rebirth, it's not the result of our doing. But by God's great mercy as he reaches down into the death of our sin. And he raises us up in new life to be born again. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever interviewed for a job, but if you're over 16, you probably have, or you're getting close to that. And one of the things is you are starting to pursue a career that we all get taught at some point in our life is that we need to ask about the benefits package, right? You ask about the benefits package. And the benefits package, it includes things that come into addition to your salary, okay? Things like how many weeks of vacation do you get, right? Things like... Uh, Do you get money and time for conferences and continuing education, right? Things like, will the company or this organization I'm going to work for, will it contribute to a retirement plan? Now, those of you who've gone through this experience before, you know that a good benefits package can make the difference between one job or another, right? It can be so attractive that even if the salary is a little less, you're like, hey, what a great benefits package. I need that job. Well, now, one of the things that I want us to see today is that to be born again in Jesus Christ 
is to be presented with the best benefits package that even money can't buy. Why? Because it was bought with something of infinite value. It was, it was purchased with the blood of Christ. And so what we're going to look at for the rest of this message this morning is the spiritual benefits package that comes with rebirth. Okay? And there's three things we're going to see. The first benefit being this, that with spiritual rebirth, we're given a living hope. The second, with spiritual rebirth, we're, we're given a new inheritance. And finally, that in being born again, we are being prepared for a salvation yet to be revealed. This is what I would call the spiritual retirement package. Okay? So yet to be revealed. So these three benefits are what we're going to be focusing on today. Let's look at that first one. To be spiritually reborn is to have a living hope. Now look again at verse 3. Follow along with me. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Okay, so here we see that with spiritual rebirth comes what? It comes a living hope. And what's this living hope? It's a hope that's secured through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Okay? And why is this resurrection so important for us to understand what it means to have a living hope? Well, the Apostle Paul, he gives us a great understanding of the, the, the reasons that the resurrection is tied to living hope so beautifully in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 14 and 17. You can follow along. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. So the point being here that that he's making ultimately is that our hope is living because our Lord is living. And inversely, if Jesus isn't alive, then our hope is dead. You see, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, when he rose from the dead... He was holding together all that we believe. All that God has done, and we see this throughout the scriptures, in the Gospels, Jesus predicted his resurrection, and it came true. In the Old Testament, the cross and resurrection were prophesied about, and they came true. Three days after the crucifixion, the tomb was empty and the grave clothes were gone. Now, those who wanted to silence the disciples, all they needed to do was produce a body, right? But they couldn't. Many people, many, many people saw the resurrected Christ. They looked in his face. They touched him. They heard his voice. And because of that, the lives of the disciples were revolutionized, right? Though they once fled in fear, they later proclaimed Christ with unwavering boldness. Why? Because the resurrection gave them and gave all of us a living hope. Now, I read this week about a cemetery where Winston Churchill is buried. Okay, So this is in in England, in, in in a churchyard called Blandon Churchyard. And as you enter the cemetery, as is common in that part of the world, you walk through a large lich gate, and I think we have an image of it. That's the actual cemetery, and that's the lich gate. Now, what makes this gate special and different than so many others is that once the funeral is over and the grieving family is leaving their grave, they will see on the back side of that lich gate 
inscribed over the arch under which they walk these words, I know that my Redeemer liveth. I know that my Redeemer liveth. Now, it's interesting to note, they don't read, I know that my loved one lives. Why, why, wouldn't that be more comforting? Well, because the assurance that we have of a future heaven is not because of our own goodness, but because of the goodness of God. That tells us that it's not our own ability to overcome sin, but it's the ability we have to be free from sin once and for all. Why? Because our Lord rose. Because of our resurrected Lord. And so whoever ordered that those words be carved in the back of that lich gate, they knew that there was no greater encouraging word to comfort these families who left the cemetery with heavy hearts. They knew what Peter knew. That because of the resurrection, we have a living hope. And that that living hope, it gives us strength to live another day. To press forward even in the midst of hardship and persecution. As I was preparing for this, it reminded me of this old gospel hymn that the chorus goes like this, Because he lives... I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future, life is worth the living just because he lives. So the first benefit of being spiritually reborn is we are given that living hope. Why? Because Jesus rose from the dead. The next one, the next benefit of being spiritually reborn, it's this Getting a new inheritance, okay? Let's look at that. In verse 4, we read that the, in, the, in our rebirth, we're invited to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Now think about this for a moment. Can you receive an inheritance just by asking for it? Can, can I go to a billionaire like Warren Buffett and say, hey, Can I get in on your inheritance? How far would that get me? Well, not far at all. Why? Because I'm not his son or daughter, right? And this is why, I want you to grab this. This is kind of, this is really insightful. This is why spiritual rebirth is so important. Because you see, to be reborn as a child of God is to be brought into his family to become by birth an heir to the inheritance. And what kind of inheritance is it? It's an imperishable, an undefiled, an unfading inheritance. And all these words suggest to us that the inheritance of God will hold its value. And there's nothing in this world that can happen to you that will decrease the significance of this reward. You can't earn it, and you can't lose it. All you need to do is be a child of God, and it's yours. And why is that? Because according to verse 4, God himself is keeping it in heaven for you. Now, I want to remind you that this audience, we learned about this last week, the original audience to whom this letter was written were elect exiles. Okay, so they were people who were forcefully relocated from their homeland. Now think about this. In an ancient culture, 
what is the item of greatest value that most families have? It's the land they own, right? It's the land they own. It's the most meaningful part of their inheritance, right? Father would pass it on to son, and that, then he would eventually pass it on to his son. And think about it. In an in ancient society, you survived by the land you owned, right? You ran your small business through the land you owned. You uh, raised crops and fed your family through the land you owned. So when one becomes an exile, what happens? That inheritance, that possession is taken from you. And it means your survival of your family is put at risk. Now, in light of that, do you see why God's inheritance, an inheritance that can't be taken away, would mean so much to these people? You see, with their spiritual rebirth, God was giving them back their inheritance. And this is an inheritance that no one, no dictator, no oppressor can take away. Now, back in 1959, uh, when Fidel Castro came into power in this takeover in Cuba, and then he, he impre- uh, you know, imposed upon the people communism, right? There was, at that point, a large flight of Cubans fleeing Cuba. And my understanding is that one of the more difficult decisions for those who chose to flee was that they knew they were leaving behind the land that had been left to them. In other words, to move to the U.S., they were making a choice to give up a significant part of their inheritance, right? Of the things that they owned were passed on to them and they would have passed on to others. So why did they do it? Well, there's a lot I could say about that, but one reason is because they hoped for something better. In other words, they knew that their hope was being placed in freedom in the United States and that that is somehow far better than the oppression that they were facing in their homeland. And so they gave up their land for a greater hope. Now, do you see how this relates to us today? Because for some of us, well, I think for all of us, we're tempted in this way. We tend to put our hope in other things, don't we? We tend to think about material things like cars or homes or bank accounts. For some of us, like the everything for us is relationships. Maybe it's a spouse or, or a boyfriend or girlfriend. Um, relevant to today is this, a political result, Right? Um, I have heard so much, and we're, we're tired of it, right? Some of you have gotten off Facebook for a while. Because to some people, the world is going to end depending on who's elected president, right? It's just insanity. But we have got to keep all this stuff in check. Why? Because we have a living hope, not of this world. And our hope's not in a political system. Our hope's not in a retirement account. Our hope's not in having a spouse, Our hope's in Jesus Christ. Why? Because he set an inheritance aside for us. And so when the cost of following Christ feels high, okay, or when you feel alone or anxious, you need to take a deep breath and pray. Because your inheritance is imperishable. It's undefiled and it's unfading. Kept in heaven for you. All right, so we've seen that The benefit of being spiritually reborn, it's giving us a living hope. The second benefit, it's 
that we're given this new inheritance. And then the third benefit of being spiritually reborn is this. We are being prepared for salvation yet to be revealed. Okay? Read with me now from verse 5, where Peter, he assures those reading this letter, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So what's the salvation? What's the salvation being guarded by God's power that is ready to be revealed? Well, to cut to the chase here, it's the salvation that will come when Christ returns and ushers in a new heaven and a new earth where sin, death, disease, conflict, wars, all of these things will be no more. And we'll have a homecoming. We'll come home. Now, as we're going to see in the weeks to come, Peter keeps going back to this theme all through this letter. We see it in 2.12 where he says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God when? On the day of visitation, when he comes. Chapter 4, verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Chapter 5, verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Chapter 5, verse 10. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Now imagine with me that, that there's a surprise birthday party being thrown for you, okay? Surprise birthday party. And the person who's throwing the party they love you so much that they've planned every single element of this party because they want it to give you great joy, all right? They've invited all your friends that you love, all right? They've arranged for all your favorite foods to be prepared. And as the day draws close, they also plan the perfect distraction, right, to take you away while the party is prepared and the guests arrive. Now, though they could have delegated that responsibility, They're so concerned with you making the party. They're so concerned with you arriving on time that they say, no, I'm going to cover this, okay? I'm going to personally ensure that you're away and then that you come back at the right time. You see, this person loves you so much, they both planned the party and made sure you got there. Now, do you see that that's what God's doing for us? He loves us so much that he's not only given us a living hope, but he purchased that hope through his death and resurrection. He loves us so much that he not only promised us an inheritance, but he's actively protecting that inheritance until the last day. He loves us so much that he not only promises us ultimate salvation, but he is guarding it with his power. He loves us so much that he both plans and brings us to the party. Now this time, I want to kind of wrap up our time with a testimony. And what you're going to hear is just a short story from Marcus, Marcus Geishert, who is, uh, works with his wife Jenny to help oversee our Next Generation ministry. So let's tune in and listen to his story. 
So I grew up in a Christian home, um, went to Bible camp and um, went to Sunday school and church every Sunday with my family and I was also big into sports growing up. I played a lot of them. I somehow managed to juggle basketball, football, baseball, soccer. Um, so I was a big athlete. Um, I was the biggest guy in my school and on my team. So um, people knew me, people liked me. Um, I had friends. Um, and then towards the, the beginning of fifth grade, I was at a Bible camp um, up in northern Wisconsin and um, got bit by a deer tick. Uh, we didn't find it until about two months later, um, which is kind of around the time that you get stuck with a lot of long-term um, effects. So um, I was dealing with that at a young age, and that really changed my life in the way that I had to really quit soccer, quit football, quit all those sports um, because I was fatigued and my joints were um, in pain and I just couldn't keep up with the things that I used to do. Used to do. Um, and right around that same time, the beginning of fifth grade, I was um, diagnosed with uh, learning disabilities, ADD, um, and so I started taking special classes to help me with homework and quizzes and stuff like that. And in, in that class, I met this girl named Emily. Um, she, had, she was born with cerebral palsy, so she had trouble getting around. She had uh, braces on her legs, and she had really bad asthma as well. Um, and uh, during that time, I was starting to uh, get picked on, get bullied, and uh, lost all my friends. And um, She was also picked on and also bullied. But the one thing I saw different in her was the fact that she, she knew Christ and she forgave the people who picked on her and made fun of her. And uh, with, at my stage, uh, at that point, I was very bitter uh, towards God because of everything I was dealing with. Like, I was thinking about why me, God. Um, and she really showed me uh, God's grace and God's forgiveness love for everybody and the fact that we're forgiven um, so we can forgive others. Um, so she was very impactful in uh, my life during a dark time. Um, she was a good friend and um, it just so happened that she passed away. Recent, like right after I uh, met her really, just a couple months uh, went by and it was hard but it helped me see, uh, her life helped me see that um, God really forgives. Um, and it gave me a peace even that, uh, just knowing that she was with him uh, in a better place. So that was really started to change. Um, just my perspective, my attitude, my uh, situation in life at the time, I was working on not being so bitter towards God and um, seeing the good amidst the, the struggle and the trials. Um, and really that impacted my life for even more than just fifth grade. Um, it made me see um, what I'm passionate about, what I uh, enjoy doing, what um, I find joy in. 
Uh, it's part of the reason why I'm, I'm lo I love doing youth ministry um, and ministering to kids who um, are dealing with all sorts of struggles in life. Um, so that that situation and Emily's faith in Christ and um, trying to see the good in people and um, just knowing who God is and what he's done for us um, not only changed her life so that she could change mine um, but also hopefully changed others lives well I wanted to share that story with you I, I heard that a few months ago from Marcus and um, I thought it would be good to share that because it gives us this tangible example about what it means to find our grace and open God, right? Even in the midst of persecution and suffering. I mean, if you think about this story, God was so gracious to give Emily, this young girl, this perspective, this strength because her hope was in God that she could forgive. And God was so gracious to change the trajectory of Marcus's life, giving her Emily's last, giving him Emily's last two months, right? To see this. What a beautiful story uh, about grace and love, about love which finds itself in a hope in heaven, about love which hopes on an inheritance and a salvation that in Emily's life in particular has already been revealed. So Let's go ahead and application, just go ahead and pray together, and then we'll conclude. Lord, thanks for this opportunity we've had today to think about some really beautiful things. Lord, some of us just needed to hear this today, because our minds and our hearts have just been low. We've been fixated on ourselves. We've been fixated on an election. We've been fixated on perhaps things we wish we had but don't and Lord it's just beautiful to be reminded as Peter reminded us we have a living hope we can experience hardship and persecution in this life and yet our mind and our thoughts and our source of energy and joy can be in another place Lord we thank you that there is an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled set aside for all who are in Christ. Lord, that we can hope in that, that we can hope in our salvation that is yet to be revealed. And I pray, Lord, as we do so, that it just might be a, a time of awakening, a season of change in our life, just, just as Marcus had, in the midst of such a low time, such a long time ago, you gave him a glimpse of grace through the faith of another Christ follower. And it changed forever the trajectory of his life. Lord, I pray the same would be true for us today as we leave this place with our thoughts on your grace and mercy and our thoughts on the hope that awaits us. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.